Gracie, can you present your case? 61-year-old white female. She was admitted to the hospital via the emergency room because of extreme fatigue, just being tired. She hadn't seen a doctor in several years. She was found to have a hemoglobin of around 4 grams. At that time, the bone marrow aspiration was done, which showed a dry tap, and a biopsy showed 90% cellularity with extensive involvement of follicular lymphoma. CAT scan and CT PET showed extensive adenopathy and splenomegaly. She was started on COP plus rituxin. Unfortunately, she could not tolerate her rituxin. We tried about three or four times in the hospital as well as in the office giving her pre-medication. What specifically was happening? It was like an infusion-related reaction at first. We had to stop the rituxin. In spite of stopping and starting slowly, giving her more steroids, she just could not tolerate it. Respiratory symptoms? Or yes. Rash? Yes, the hives and wheezing, was hypotension. That, mm-hmm. It was a full-blown rituxin infusion reaction. Before you go on, can you comment on that and yeah, on I mean, how it's you one dealt of, with it? Sure, certainly. It's one of the rarer complications. I mean, all of us expect 96% of our patients who are getting rituximab to have infusional reactions. And most of us can get around that. I think we've treated, at this point at Rush, about 5,000 patients with rituximab. I've had to admit four of those patients because they couldn't tolerate it. And I've had to stop rituxin, not give more of it in two patients. We have gotten around that in some of the patients by actually pre-medicating them four days in advance using Zyrtec and actually continuing that and pre-medicating them with steroids for three days. I don't know if you'd be too apprehensive to do that in someone that's already had the laryngeal symptoms and how would you know it was going to occur so you don't pre-medicate until it happens obviously but we hear so many reactions to rituxin patients come in and say I've had a reaction to rituxin I can't take it and I think most of those are really probably situations that could have been handled and gotten the patient through that if you really talked about steroids and things like good antihistamines. I don't know what you do in your patient. I don't think you can continue it, obviously. We tried twice during that time. We tried various things, and it did not work. So I treated her with COP alone. Mm -hmm. After six cycles, she only had a partial remission. And I stopped the treatment at that point, and I was just monitoring her, and her lymph nodes started to grow back soon after that. And then she was placed on Fludara, single agent. She had four cycles of that. And she developed fairly severe pancytopenia on Fludara. What was happening with her bone marrow counts? At that point, when she became pancytopenic, I did a bone marrow biopsy. It was negative for lymphoma. Oh. She had no lymphoma in the bone marrow. And she was still pancytopenic? Yes. How big was the spleen? The spleen had gotten smaller Mm -hmm. at that point. So you weren't thinking that it was mainly sequestration in the spleen at that point? Mm -hmm. What would you be thinking right now at this point? Well, you know, this is an unusual presentation for follicular lymphoma. uh, I'm sorry, but she was on Fludara, and I kind of blamed it on her Fludara at that point. The fibrosis in the marrow and the continued pancytopenia is very unusual in a follicular lymphoma. I think you're compromised because of the cytopenias initially, but I'd be very hesitant in using a fluid arrow in somebody that had fibrosis in the marrow. When you started that, you said her marrow was cleared of the lymphoma and all, but she was still cytopenic. Was there still fibrosis in the marrow? No, no. Hmm. She was a little hypocellular, but there was nothing else going on at that point. Yeah. And I'm not terribly impressed with fluid arrow alone in the treatment, certainly of 
relapsed follicular, we would usually add an anthracycline to that, most likely novantrone. MD Anderson has added decadron. That might help whatever is going on with the counts. So if I had started a flutara, I probably would have put it in combination with either novantrone and decadron rather than single agent in the relapse setting. What other options would you be thinking about, and what would it take you to think about R again? I don't think I would think about R again just because of what happened. And I think that if something happened, you'd really be pretty liable for that. I think you have to be very, very careful. What about bortezomib or lenalidomide? Yeah, the results of both of those have certainly been used in relapsed refractory lymphomas. Results with single-agent lenalidomide and bortezomib both are in the 20-30% responses. I think you have to add something to them. Both of those would probably do better if you could add rituximab. There's an ongoing trial now looking at bendamustine and Velcade and rituximab in the relapse setting. But again, everything today is adding that monoclonal antibody. So you're in a predicament with this patient. If we had ofatumumab available, would that be something you consider? You know, the epitopes, ofatumumab actually attaches to an extra epitope that rituximab doesn't. But you know, they tend to have similar side effects. And we actually had a trial using ofatumumab with CHOP. And although the respiratory symptoms were not a prominent feature, high seem to even be worse than some of the rituximab patients. And they're the patients that we actually put on Zyrtec three or four days before and got them through the treatment. Any significance to it being, quote, humanized? Supposedly less reactions. That's not been my impression with ofatumumab, at least. And we don't have experience with some of the other antibodies. Epituzumab is an anti-CD22. It's not available. Again, you'd have to look at that in some clinical trials. You want to follow up with what happened? Okay. So I sent her to an allergist. I still realized I wanted to give rituxan mm-hmm. somehow or the other. Mm-hmm. So I sent her to the allergist, and he checked her out for everything. He said, yes, I think she is allergic to rituxan. So then after much discussion back and forth, we decided to put her on steroids for 10 days and some antihistamine. Mm-hmm. And then we got her into the office, and we gave her IV Demerol, and then very slowly gave her the rituxan, and she tolerated it. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) So just going back to sort of, again, premedication and thinking through some of these, I think can get most patients through rituximab, and be wary when you hear about rituximab allergies that patients come to you with. So she got R alone, or you had Yeah, she got R alone at that point, because Mm -hmm. she was still pancytopenic, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to add any chemo at that point. I gave her four cycles of R for four weeks. Mm -hmm. There was some reduction. And how bulky was her disease at this point? There was some reduction in the adenopathy with rituxan alone, and then we waited a few months. The lymph nodes started to grow back again. And I told her that bendamustine is going to be approved, so we waited until it came on and that was approved. And was she still getting the steroids and antihistamines intensively every time no. she got the R? No, you yeah, weren't putting her in R maintenance. I understand no. you just gave but her I mean, four weeks of R. Each four. time you gave it to her. Yes, uh-huh. and the Demerol. And she handled that. Yes. So she had a partial response yes. after her rituximab. She's now relapsing. Yes. And she relapsed within six months of that last rituximab or longer yes. than six yes. months. So she's six rituximab months, refractory. Months. And so you have two options for the rituximab refractory patient. And one is 
is bendamustine, that's the label approval, and one is radioimmunotherapy. And obviously, we know that that's not used a great deal, but if you had 100,000 platelets and you had an ANC above 1,500 and you had less than 25% bone marrow involvement, it's easy treatment, it's over in a week, and she would come back to you to be followed for her 13 weeks of blood counts, and you have a very good chance of doing well because she's not heavily treated. And those are the patients that have done very, very well with radioimmunotherapy after minimal treatment. So she's really only had COP, not a lot of fludara, and rituximab. So bendamustine, radiomunotherapy. What about allergic reactions to the Zevlin or whatever you're going to Pre-medication use? Pre-medication would do fine. Same she thing. got through so absolutely. So if she tolerates rituxan, she would absolutely. tolerate Zevlin. So you want to bring us up to date? So I gave her bendamustine. And what dose? At 90. And she tolerated it well. And she has a complete disappearance of her lymph nodes and the spleen is normal in size. And I gave her four cycles altogether. After every 28 two, days or every yes, 21 28 days? 28 days. 28 days. And after two cycles, she had a nice clinical response. After four cycles, a PET-CT showed that she's in complete remission. Oh, that's wonderful. I haven't done a bone marrow on her yet, but her counts are normal. So again, here's another new agent in our armamentarium that is giving overall responses that are very impressive in patients who have been multiply relapsed. And remember, just again, talking about those responses in the low-grade lymphomas, they're approaching 70%, and adding rituximab to that, you can get them even up to 90%. So I think you have a perfect example that a patient that tolerated it very well. I think dosing is an issue. We have to probably think about reducing doses, as you did in that. And if you remember the approved label in follicular lymphoma, it's 120 milligrams per meter squared, days one and two, every three weeks. That's not a dose that's easy to get in. So you did the appropriate thing. And obviously, you didn't add rituximab to it. I did. You did <laughs> add rituximab. <laughs> and she did very well. Oh, that's good. fine. Can't argue with success. Yeah, you yeah. can't. And there is demonstrated synergism in the laboratory of the two together. There are a couple of things that came up that we kind of got off on mm-hmm. other subjects I just want to pop back into. The ever-present question of our maintenance, although it doesn't necessarily <laughs> apply to her case, but as long as we're talking about rituximab, of course, yeah. that's the number one question all oncologists have. Right. What's so the answer? I think the answer is still not out. There was a recent meta-analysis, and they identified five clinical trials that were randomized trials looking at rituximab maintenance versus observation. In two of those trials, the primary treatment was rituximab alone, and then they were randomized to rituxan maintenance versus observation. In the other two trials, it was a chemo-rituximab regimen. And the end of the article, this meta-analysis, said that rituxan maintenance in the relapse setting, regardless of how you give it, whether it's one infusion every two or three months or four infusions every six months for two years— that in the relapse setting, there's a tendency to improved overall survival. There certainly is improved progression-free survival. But what we don't know is the long-term complications of this, the hypogammaglobulinemia that occurs, and those patients may be salvaged by just using rituxan when they need it again. So I don't think the answer is out. Can you comment a little bit about the resort study that's sure. looking at this? So this was a study that just closed at ECOG. It is a low tumor burden study for advanced stage indolent lymphoma. Most of the patients on that trial were follicular lymphoma patients, and it was four weeks of rituximab treatment at the usual dose. Patients were then evaluated with CT scans, and if they had a PR or a CR, they were then randomized to one infusion of rituximab every three months 
or retreatment at time of relapse. And CAT scans were done every six months. They're looking at corollary studies with FC gamma receptors, et cetera. So these patients will be on the drug until they relapse. And we have at our institution about five patients on it. Four of those patients were randomized to the rituxan arm, and they're out five years. They've had up to 18 maintenance treatments. I think this is not something to take home and start using right now. Wait till that study's analyzed because the retreatment arm may have just as good a response. The end point is when do they need something other than rituximab? So it's really when do they become refractory to rituximab?